Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. My name is Kalen Jones, and I'm alongside site publisher Chris Cartman, who's been pretty busy these past couple days. Chris, how are you doing? A couple days, man. It feels like the last few weeks have been uh, a whirlwind. Uh, there's a lot going on, obviously, Kalen, with the coaching stuff, recruiting. Got the first ever early signing period uh, for uh, traditional uh, non-early enrollee recruits starting on December 20th. There's just a lot to unpack and report on and, and look into. And we're, we're in the crevices trying to get all that stuff accomplished. Yeah, we certainly are with, obviously, with Herm Edwards being um, going into his first year as ASU's head coach, he's been completing his on-field staff, or at least in the process of it. Uh, within a couple of days of being hired, he actually retained his entire offensive staff. But, Chris, before we get into that, let's jump into the more pressing news regarding the defensive side of the ball. Uh, defense coordinator Phil Bennett confirmed on Tuesday uh, reports that he was not going to return as ASU's defensive coordinator next season. What are your thoughts on his decision? Well, so uh, back up to the reporting a little bit. Basically, uh, Herm Edwards was hired and announced on a Monday. Uh, Phil Bennett was out of town. Uh, he was in New York for a former player of his introduction into the College Football Hall of Fame, Dat Wynn. Um, they didn't meet in that first week. Then they sat down on, on Saturday and uh, had some initial conversations. Our reporting is that uh, he was offered the defensive coordinator position by Herm Edwards at that point in time, thought about it. They had a subsequent conversation, talked about it with family members, and ultimately decided that it wasn't something that he wanted to pursue. Phil Bennett has a couple things that are going on, Kalen. He has uh, a neck that is going to require a surgery. He has another procedure that's going to have to be done surgically. Uh, his wife has some family members in Texas that she's now responsible for. Uh, her grandmother is 94 years old or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, uh, and then uh, another uh, older sibling is, uh, or an aunt, I think, is, uh, is um, not able to take care of, of herself. And so those are some of the factors that led Phil Bennett to, uh, plus also possibly things related to his dialogue with her Edwards, mm-hmm. to not take the job. Um, I think he's going to end up somewhere else, maybe not in an on-field capacity, but I think he'll still, after he takes some time to, to, to recover, he'll probably show up on his staff somewhere in some capacity as an analyst or behind-the-scenes person or maybe even on the field, probably somewhere in the state of Texas. Um, he says he's not done coaching, teaching, a 40-year veteran. He's 62 years old. He's been doing this his whole life. Yep. Guy has a lot of energy. Um, it just felt like it for him it wasn't the right situation and uh, but our, our reporting is that he was offered the defensive coordinator job and, and decided they didn't want to pursue it all right so every move in college football has a domino effect you look at the asu staff uh, now you look at the re- the assistants that are under bennett this season you look at michael slater uh, tj rushing sean slocum keith patterson how does this move affect them chris well definitely you're gonna want to have a coordinator in place before you make decisions about the rest of the on-field staff, typically, mm-hmm. and especially that's the case when uh, when you have a, a head coaching change. A lot of defensive coordinators are going to want the autonomy to be able to build their staffs, bring people with them if they feel comfortable in those relationships and all of that. And I think that's a leveraging point mm-hmm. to making a uh, a big hire at that defensive coordinator position. Uh, I look at um, the existing guys on the staff. 
Uh, Keith Patterson, who's been with Todd Graham his whole career, probably the least likely to, to come back. Sean Slocum, a guy who was an NFL special teams coordinator, probably the most likely to come back. Uh, just given the, the versatility of the role and everything that he's kind of done and built and who he has uh, coming back and, and the performance that he had this season. And then I think the guys who were kind of more on the fence or in the middle would be TJ Russian, their secondary coach, and then Michael Slater, their defensive line coach. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see those guys going either way, but uh, most likely you would imagine that the the uh, the defensive coordinator that they do hire is going to want to have some influence over that. In accordance with Ray Anderson's new leadership model, um, one of the things that he wants to ensure that or assure that ASU has is you know the ability to retain top offensive or at least top assistants within its staff, and they were able to do that uh, by retaining Billy Napier and the rest of ASU's offensive staff. Um, what, what's your assessment of the decision to retain Billy Napier as offensive coordinator and the subsequent assistants alongside him? Well, you have to look at this from a, a continuity standpoint. I think when you, when you lose uh, head coaches, when you fire a head coach, typically the rest of the staff or most of the rest of the staff also gets fired. And then you have to go back into this reteaching, relearning personnel scheme, uh, you know, how a, a certain way of doing things. You have the recruiting component that's associated with right. that because those guys that you've been pursuing for the last year to two years or longer in some cases uh, have those relationships established with those coaches. You look back, uh, Kalen, at when Mike Norvell and Chip Long and Chris Ball left, they basically they had a half of their staff turnover. That happened around this time of year. And then um, ASU didn't sign any pardon me, they didn't get any new commitments for like about a six-week period from mid-December through the end of January when you typically will have half of your class be built out. Uh, So there's a a dramatic impact to recruiting that um, when you have your whole staff on offense retained, you don't go through some of those challenges and, and, and problems and not nearly to the same degree. So I think they'll be able to keep most of their recruits in place that they have on that side of the ball. Mm -hmm. You have nine starters coming back. Of course, Manny Wilkins is going to be a senior quarterback. Nikhil Harry's going to be one of the better receivers in the country. You have four offensive line starters. They feel like five basically guys who are offensive line capable starters coming back. So they're going to be a lot further ahead in a lot of areas uh, from a understanding their personnel player development standpoint scheme what they want to do to put their guys in the best position to be successful next year right. uh, the recruiting component and all that stuff I think that's a big factor because you look at ASU and it should be you know, the ASU won seven games this year in the regular season should only get better uh, next year given that they're going to have nine guys back and a lot of these other things that are in place I think that's probably the the, the healthiest that this program, uh, the healthiest component of where right. this program is at right now. All right. And so you look at the health of the program. Now you get to really assess, I guess, what you have moving forward in tandem with that, Chris. The bowl practice, obviously ASU, for those who don't know, they'll be playing in the Sun Bowl on December 29th against 24th-ranked North Carolina State. Uh, just in general, I guess, like, what are your thoughts, I guess, ahead of the matchup for ASU? I haven't really gotten into studying NC State yet just because there's been so much going on with the coaching changes right. and recruiting <laughs> and whatnot. 
Um, we'll get we'll power through the the rest of the practices this week. Then mm-hmm. then ASU won't have any practices between the 17th and the 24th. Uh, they'll they'll travel on Christmas Day and, and practice in El Paso. We won't be there that day, but we'll be there soon thereafter. Mm-hmm. But that week will will be a, a, a crucial opportunity to really dive into NC State. Of course, I know from a record standpoint and how they finished really strong in the ACC and they're a favorite over ASU in the game. Uh, it should be a very competitive matchup and environment as long as ASU uh, has its wherewithal and focus and is kind of you know preparing as you normally would expect. You never can really know for sure right. with, with a coaching change. You go back to like when uh, Dennis Erickson was fired and then ASU, he coached ASU in the bowl game in, in, in Las Vegas against Boise State uh, in 2011. And uh, and ASU got throttled in that game. It just wasn't really mm-hmm. didn't really show up. So you never really know. I I think the the vibe of this team and the discipline and the focus and energy is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And so my 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 guess is that they'll they'll come prepared and it'll be a pretty good game. Yeah, and obviously it'll be interesting to see that matchup. But for those who are wondering, as far as our assessment of ASU's uh, first year players or I guess those those newcomers per se, we'll have plenty of analysis and scouting reports on. Uh, players and other reserves who haven't seen much action this year, all available to our premium subscribers on sundevilsource.com. So you'll definitely want to check that out. Um, but Chris, let's talk about the early signing period. Um, Herm Edwards, he actually, I, I believe he's credentialed now by the NCAA. He can officially go in and, and start recruiting and he started doing that this week. Um, but there's been some news in regards to ASU's decommitments, uh, Offensive tackle Jacob Patterson, or excuse me, Jarrett Patterson, out of Mission Viejo, uh, who's likely to end up considering Michigan or UCLA down the stretch. So you look at linebacker Kendrick Ironhead Caddis, uh, as well as tight end Brett Bell. Those guys are both JUCOs from Kansas, and then you also have the recent decommitment of Jacoby Simpson. So, Chris, uh, ASU has ten other commitments who remain. Um, they're able to sign for the first year ever. You know, part of that non-early enrollee. Uh, national signing period uh, in a couple of weeks, but how do you assess ASU? No, in, in, or, in December 20th. Or, excuse me, not in a couple of weeks, but in a couple week. days. <laughs> yeah, next week. <laughs> so how would you assess where ASU stands heading into that? Right, so um, as you mentioned there, Kalen, ASU's lost four commitments from its class. At one Correct. point it was at 14, sitting on 14. A couple of those guys were guys that they let go. Essentially, they cut loose. Um, that's primarily Brett Bell, who's a junior college tight end. And then they decided uh, to allow Kendrick Caddis, the junior college linebacker, to go, mm-hmm. uh, according to our sources. Anyways, um, the other two, Jarrett Patterson and Jacoby Simpson, uh, they were trying to hold on to. Uh, Patterson uh, is uh, essentially got some, some higher profile offers that he liked. Later on in the process, after he committed to ASU, Michigan, and UCLA primarily, he's visiting both of those schools before the December 20th signing period. And then mm-hmm. he's going to decide if he's going to actually uh, sign then or wait. And if he waits, then he may actually visit ASU again in January. So ASU is not totally out of it there, uh, but but uh, does look to be um, third in, the, in his pecking order right now. Um, and then... Um, and then uh, Jacoby Simpson, he just actually visited Kansas State mm-hmm. this past weekend. He had told me previously that he was solid to ASU and wasn't planning on changing his commitment. And even after he visited Kansas State, reiterated that he expected to sign with ASU. So that's a little bit more surprising, mm-hmm. uh, that that development. Now, 
we just touched on the fact that when you lose a defensive staff and you lose coaches, yep. their relationships kind of go away, and then that hurts your ability to 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 keep guys committed through um, their their process. I mean, I haven't talked to Jacoby Simpson yet. This news actually just broke while we were recording our podcast, um, but. The 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 likelihood now is that I'll probably sign with Kansas State on on uh, on signing day on which is uh, the twentieth as we said earlier. So that is the early signing period for the first time ever. Yeah. Uh, There's a three day NLI period that that recruits are are bound to the schools they signed with in that period, and vice versa. Uh, ASU and all these other colleges out there are going to try to get as many of their commitments locked up as possible, even if they're not going to be early enrollees so that they can then know what they need to do to finish up the rest of their class. ASU sitting on 10 commitments currently. Yes, sir. Um, I, you, you were well aware of this, of course, Caitlin, but we have been talking to all of these guys behind the scenes. And uh, in the Devil Sanctuary, our premium community, we basically have updates on everybody. Yeah, so you'll definitely, again, you want to subscribe to SunDevilSource.com so you can check out uh, and stay up to date on how ASU's 10 commitments currently stand. But, Chris, let's go over it. The guys that they currently have, um, you look at Michael Mattis, Eli Doyle, Brock Sturgis, Ralph Frias, Demetrius Flowers, Christian LaVale, Dominique Harrison, Reggie Hughes, Stanley Lambert, and Hunter McGinnis. You have 10 commitments currently for ASU. How important is it? or at least this early signing period that's coming up on December 20th, how important is it for ASU? I think it's really important. Um, as I said, your your goal is to really ascertain where you stand in terms of, okay, how many more guys do we need at all these different position groups and areas? Who do we have? What does our roster project to look like for next year? you want to be able to not have to actively recruit those players who have been committed to you anymore. You want to be able to focus your attention on who else you have now to, to be, have to go out and get to come onto your campus for official visits in January, uh, more uh, in-home visits with. All that, all that stuff gets much more clear based upon what you do in your, in your early signing period for ASU. Yeah. So they're, out of those 10 guys... We have a very good idea of how many of them are going to sign with ASU. ASU has a very good idea of how many are going to sign with ASU. We'll Correct. see if there's any changes that happen between now and then. It's really only, like you said, a, a week, days. less than a week, you know. <laughs> and um, and uh, but this could be potentially roughly half of ASU's overall class. Okay, so it allows them to then really drill down on what they what they also have to do to sort of finish strong. Um, as I said, ASU had a lot of early commitments this year. They had probably 12 to 13 commitments earlier than I'd ever seen in my time doing this. Like even mm-hmm. before their season started, they already had more than half their class full. But then when you go through a coaching change, you have some of those guys kind of drop off, their relationships change, or there's other dynamics at play uh, that could lead to coaches deciding that they wanted to want to release guys to allow them to be recruited right. or signed with other schools. All those things have kind of gone on behind the scenes. Um, but but again, it is very important. And if people really want to know the, the, the granular details of where every single one of these kids that you just listed stands, mm-hmm. feel free to come on uh, the Devil's Sanctuary and we're going to basically give all that stuff to you and regular updates. 
Yeah, you'll definitely, again, you want to check out sundevilsource.com for all the updates on ASU's commitments as well as our um, analysis and thoughts on ASU's continued coaching search, I guess, now for a defensive coordinator. We'll see how that shapes up in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, we're going to looking forward to it. We'll be all over covering this. Um, I'm sure they'll have a defensive coordinator in place in the next week or so as we're recording this. And, uh, and then the rest of the staff will come into play. And then and then the, the dead period, which starts on January 17th, that, that precludes uh, ASU coaches from visiting recruits away from their own campus, hmm. comes to an end on January 11th. And then there'll be uh, three official visit weekends the next three weekends after that. And it's basically a race to the finish to signing day. Um, and then we'll have... A huge amount of unpacking of ASU's recruiting class and all that stuff subsequently, but we'll we'll give you the updates in in other podcasts to follow. Uh, but this is something that's really really important as the Herm Edwards era kicks off here. Yeah, and you'll definitely again you'll want to stay tuned to SunDevilSource.com for all the latest going on in Arizona State football. For now, thanks for tuning in from Kalen Jones and Chris Cartman. So long. <laughs>